Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Hear these words from Matthew uh, chapter 25, the first 13 verses. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in their flask for their lamps. And when the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise one, Give us some of your oil because the lamps are going out. And the wise ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. So go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. And when they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived, and those so came and said, Master, with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. And he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day, or the hour. So the call uh, that Jesus is kind of making, so let's kind of set this up real quick. Um, Because it seems simple enough, right? Uh, So there's a couple things that it's good to kind of read within uh, the context. In fact, Jesus is kind of going through this. Uh, this section, and if you flip around in your Bible, if you have one that has red letters and you flip around, the last couple of chapters leading up to this, at least starting with 23, 24, 25, um, and a little bit of 26, it's kind of what some people call... Um, second Sermon on the Mount. So there was this initial in Matthew's letter, there was, a, I mean, in Matthew's gospel, there's an initial Sermon on the Mount, starts with chapter 5 and goes through chapter 7, and it was like all these people were on this mountain, and he was teaching them all. And now they're on a different mountain, now they're on the Mount of Olives, and it's just Jesus and his disciples, and so this is just Jesus talking to his disciples, and he goes through this discourse of, here's what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. Um, and then he kind of starts talking about, okay, well, here's the deal. You got to be ready. And he goes through all this. So if you actually go back to verse to chapter 24, you'll see, you know, Jesus is talking about no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, he talks about the, the, the servant that was faithful to Christ versus the one that wasn't. Uh, you, you remember, and then uh, a little bit later, and we'll get to it next week, but we got the the story of the talents, and then we got the sheep and the goats, and we have all these kind of things where Jesus is basically saying there is a proper thing and there's a good thing to be ready for, and there's um, there's a way to basically wait and not be ready. And so we may not see it just on the first blush of just reading this story about ten virgins. We don't even get this story right. Like if we read this in our context, it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, our weddings are 15 minutes long. And unless you go to a Catholic wedding and it's an hour long. But that's it. 
Then you go to reception, maybe a couple hours. Usually we're trying to cut out early because for some reason people have weddings in the fall during football season and there's a ball game on. And so we're ready to get out of there. Or we got kids, you know, if they do have a wedding in the springtime or in the summer or in the winter, any other time other than fall, then, you know, maybe we're hanging around a little bit longer, right? And that, at least that's how we do it in the South. But they're generally 15 minutes long. They're really quick. We go to reception afterwards. Boom, the whole thing's done. Generally, you get in and out, even if you're the wedding party. And trust me, I have been in, I think the last wedding that I was in, I've performed some weddings since then. The last wedding that I was in as like a person in the wedding other than the officiant was my own. But going into that, I counted it up, and I had been in 19 weddings till that point. 19 tux rentals to that point. <laughs> Travel, all this kind of stuff, and I was so ready to be done with it. But even in the wedding party, you may be four hours, five hours in total, from pictures to sending the bride and groom off, and that's it. But here in this uh, context, what Jesus is kind of telling them is a story that they're very familiar with, right? They get to the wedding feast, the wedding uh, betrothal kind of happens, and that's really a time and place where the man and woman are kind of married as far as we're concerned, but a couple important things haven't happened yet. They haven't consummated the marriage yet. Um, they haven't had this grand feast, and generally there was a short time. There wasn't like a long, it wasn't like, years of betrothal. It was generally like a couple weeks or a month just to kind of get all the things set. But every, you know, sometimes they still live together, but there was no consummation of the wedding, of the marriage. And then there was this big feast. But then once that happened, then everything was kind of set and it was official and it went on. But when they had this party, right, this wedding feast, it lasted for days, sometimes up to a couple weeks. Um, it was a long event. And as such, nobody was really in a hurry to get there. I mean, they all wanted to, it was a joyous celebration, but it's not like, hey, this thing's starting at 2 o'clock. I got to be there. Have you, has anybody here ever been to a wedding where somebody in the wedding party, an important person in the wedding party was late? Okay. That's an awkward situation. I officiated a wedding one time, and the bride was like 15 minutes late, and nobody knew where they were at end up being like a, uh, somebody was broke in front of me, kind of blocked the road. But that's a tense moment. You're sitting there and going, okay. yeah." It, we're lucky now. There's cell phones. We can make a quick call, text, some down the road, whatever. But that's a really weird, intense moment. Um, that wasn't the case then. They knew this was event was going to happen for a while. And so it wasn't as if this thing's starting at 2 o'clock. we got to get there. And so here's this story of these um, bridesmaids who are waiting, these ten virgins who are kind of waiting for the bridegroom to get there so they can go in and start the celebration that's going to last for a while. And Jesus is kind of telling this story. So that's a one important thing to remember in the context of this is, you know, A, Jesus is uh, kind of starting to talk to his disciples specifically about, here's what to expect. I'm coming again, ready for it. And that's kind of the so, so there it is. We can pray and go on home. Okay, that's basically what he's saying. But let's flesh it out a little bit because I think you may have heard this scripture talked about in a way 
Well, let's just talk about what it doesn't say, because I've heard some sermons where it says, well, here's what it is, and here's what the oil means, and here's what the lamp means, here's what the bridegroom means. And the only thing we really know from this, like if we're being like 100% honest, the only thing that we really know is that Jesus is putting himself in that bridegroom role. Okay, that's really all we know. We don't know that there's a metaphor for the lamp or the oil or the waiting or the time. We just know that there is some waiting for the bridegroom, which is Jesus, and he's talking about his return. So here's what it doesn't mean, and we can pull this out actually from the story itself. So we're not making this up. We can look at it in the story itself. Uh, What does it not mean? It does not mean, or it doesn't seem to be, that Jesus is getting to this, like the main point of the story is that we have to be in a constant state of alertness. Okay? There were ten virgins. Sometimes you may have a translation that says ten foolish and ten wise. Or ten silly. I saw that in the translation this week. And ten uh, wise uh, virgins. But the one thing we know about all ten of them is they all fell asleep. They were waiting and they fell asleep. This wasn't a story where Jesus is saying... Nine virgins fell asleep, and the one was just waiting for him. This is not Jesus in the garden saying, couldn't you just pray one more hour, okay? We don't get this from the story. Now, Jesus may be telling us that individually, like, hey, I want you to constantly be ready. And there are other places we can go to, but not this story. And this story, even the ones that were considered wise still fell asleep. So we can't just extrapolate out of that, that this is Jesus saying we've got to constantly be waiting and in a constant state of anticipation or alertness because they all fell asleep. The other thing we can't pull out of there is that we have to bring all the resources necessary with us. The wise versions, the only thing extra they brought that the other ones didn't was oil. They didn't bring the party supplies. They didn't bring the fest, the, 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 the meat and all the things for the party. They didn't bring anything other than oil. So this is not Jesus saying you have to have all the resources necessary and there and waiting and ready. In fact, this is really a story of Jesus saying, I'm bringing everything that we need. I'm the bridegroom. I'm supplying it all. In fact, in that, in that context, a little bit different than ours today, but in that context, the bridegroom's family did a lot of that. Um, having two boys, I'm glad we've changed that a little bit, uh, if I'm being honest. But... Um, that was kind of, this wasn't Jesus saying, you got to have everything at your disposal and ready to go. Because sometimes we want to preach that message. You just got to, you, you have all the resources, you got the Bible, you got everything. And that does not make this not true. We do have the Word of God, we do have everything that we need for life to live. God's Holy Spirit has given us that. But this is not a, a passage, this is not a parable where Jesus is saying, see, this is proof you need to be able to give everything. In fact, in this story, the bridegroom provides 99% of what they are going to have to enjoy this. It doesn't actually even tell us how patient the virgins were in their waiting. I've heard that preached from this text. So you just got to be patient for the Lord. We have no clue how patient these virgins are. They could have been tapping their wrist the whole time, but five of them still got in. does not mean, or the scripture is not saying, that one group was excited and another group wasn't. What happened when they heard the words yelled out, the bridegroom is here? 
They all got up with anticipation. They all went to trim their lamps. They were all ready. They were all excited. This was not a group of people where one group wasn't excited and wasn't faithful and wasn't whatever. They were all excited. This wasn't a a sermon where we get to pick who was the wheat and the tares, right? This This isn't a message where God is saying you have any choice or any say in this matter. Everybody was excited. They were all ready to go. Time to party. Bridegroom's here. This is who we've been waiting on. Let's get up and go. They were all excited. And so, you know, lastly, and I just alluded to it, this is not a text that's saying these people knew the bridegroom and these people didn't. How many of the virgins knew the bridegroom? All ten of them. So this isn't a text where we can say, well, you're in, you're out. You get with them, you know them because you know them. And this isn't that kind of message, right? Because they all knew the bridegroom. Even the five silly virgins or foolish versions, when they went and they bought their oil, they did. They, they were a little bit late, but they went and bought the oil they were supposed to, and they go up to the door, and it's already shut, and they're knocking. They weren't saying, hey, you don't know us, but can we come in and crash the party because it sounds fun. They cried out to him as people who knew him. So the only difference that we can really gather from this text, the only difference is that the wise virgins were prepared for the wait. The foolish ones weren't. And the only thing they had to offer was the oil. That was the only thing extra they had. They just had extra oil, and that was it. See, what a lot of times we do with this scripture is we kind of suppose that we know all the things of the gospel and we know what it means. We have the Holy Spirit. We have all this stuff and we can rely on kind of what we know, what we've experienced and what we've felt. But this text reminds us that entrance into the banquet does not turn on what we presume to know. Instead, it asks us to prepare to wait. It asks us to be prepared to wait. If there's one thing we don't like, is waiting. How many people from Tuesdays to Saturday enjoyed waiting? Most people did, right, this past week. Nobody, everybody, I mean, it's, it's kind of nice when if you're going to do something like that, you just find out right then, right? Nobody likes to wait. We don't like waiting on anything. And it's gotten worse as I've gotten older. Not that I want right now. It means I haven't waited, but technology has shifted so much that I can find out any answer I want right now. All I got to do is ask Google. It tells me right then. When I was a kid, and my kids do not believe me when I tell them this, I had to go get the encyclopedia out. Pray I had the right one at my house, because we didn't have a full set. It was like, you know, we had like a couple, you know, I don't remember, like, I don't know how. It's one of those door-to-door salesmen. We got about 10 of them or something. I don't know. They didn't have everything. So if I had a subject that I was going to study in school and had to write a paper about, it had to be in one of those. It couldn't just be any subject. But I had to go and I had to look it up and hope the answer was in there. Hoped it hadn't changed since they printed it, right? Because who was buying updated encyclopedias every year? Nobody. But now I can find it like that. If I want to order food, I can go on my phone. 
It can be ready at the restaurant when I get there to pick up. I don't even have to wait on it. That's unbelievable to me. If I want to go across the world, and I have, I can get on an airplane and be in China in 12 hours. Maybe less if I get a direct flight. The time I went, it took me 12 hours. All right? I don't want to get on an airplane right now for 12 hours, if I'm being honest. But I could. I don't have to get on a boat and wait weeks and weeks and weeks to get there. I can be there before the end of November the 8th. Actually, that's not quite true. They're 12 hours ahead. It'll be November the 9th when I get there, but it'll be still be November the 8th here. We don't like to wait. But what this text is telling us, it reminds us, it asks us to prepare for the wait. Avoid assuming that we have enough. Avoid assuming that we have enough of whatever it is, whatever, whatever Jesus meant by the oil. And you can go and you can read commentaries on other people, and you may have heard it. A lot of people say the oil Jesus was referring to was the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's true. He doesn't really tell us. Maybe he meant that it was faith or knowledge or love. Maybe it meant more of himself. I, I don't know exactly what it meant, but all we know is that the only difference between these five wise virgins and five foolish virgins virgins was that five of them were prepared for this weight. The text also reminds us that this is not as good as it gets. As a kid, and I've confessed this to you guys, and, and, I, and I see laughs, I see smirks, I see people's head nodding every time I say this. As a kid, and sometimes I'm tempted to even as an adult, I remember thinking, man, heaven does not sound cool. Because this is like, this is what I know. This is fun. Like you're talking about streets of gold where all we're doing is like singing songs to Jesus. Like, like that's the part, as a kid, like that was the part of my week. Like the fun part is hanging out with my friends afterwards, right? Playing, doing whatever it was. It didn't sound enticing. And so sometimes we can be fooled into thinking, man, this is as good as it gets. This is great. I have family and friends who love me. I have, you know, whatever it is. And then there's other people who are thinking, this is the worst it's ever been. I can't wait till things get better. But this text is reminding us this isn't as good as it gets. It also reminds us the bridegroom's delay does not mean that he's not coming. And that the party is not really going to start until it gets there. The good thing is, Jesus has come, and so here's where we find ourselves now in this tension between the fact that Jesus has already come and the kingdom of God is already breaking in. Remember what God, through his Holy Spirit, instructed um, John to preach, but then also Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out, what did he tell them? Announce the kingdom of God is here. It has come, and that is good, like that is what he taught us to pray for. Pray that your kingdom should come here on earth just as it is in heaven. And Jesus said to his disciples, tell them the kingdom of God is here. That was John's message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus came and his glory was filled. And now he's telling his disciples, go and tell them the kingdom of God is here. So in some ways, like we get to take part in that. 
But then we also know it's not yet there. We don't have to look far to realize, and we're in this kind of in-between tension. But what this text does do, it reminds us that the party's not going to start until the bridegroom gets there, right? This isn't as good as it gets. There is something good and better that is coming. It asks us to live in hope for what has been promised and what will be but is not quite yet. Paul said, and I'm kind of seeing through this mirror and it's dim. I can kind of see this reflection, but I'm not seeing it fully. I'm not quite grasping it. Things are good. I'm seeing Holy Spirit work. I'm seeing God do amazing things, but things are not yet perfect. They're already, the kingdom of God is kind of already here. And Jesus invites us to be people who display the kingdom of God here, but it's not yet fully here. And it's, it puts us in this tension. It's not as good as it gets. Bridegroom is still coming. It's going to get even better. It's going to be even better. But here is where we are. We're in this tension where we're constantly waiting. Knowing that the bridegroom is coming, excited, anticipating. We want to be like all ten virgins, right? We want to be like all ten of them who were excited when Jesus came. He's here. The party gets to start. Yes. But we also want to be specifically like the five wise virgins who were prepared for the wait. A lot of times, and we had this discussion, uh, Al and Bill and I on Wednesday night had this discussion about... um, I just went out of my brain, actually, Al. Yeah, it was. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it just flew straight out of my brain. But we did have this discussion on Wednesday night. I was trying to think of the exact kind of line that we were talking talking about. Um, but it, but the bottom, kind of where we kind of settled, we, we actually didn't settle anywhere, but kind of where we were talking about is that uh, this this display of the kingdom, this display of what God is showing us, that we are constantly getting a little bit better, but we're still kind of waiting. We're not quite there. And so we talked about this act of discipleship. And I, and I was telling, like, one of the things that I think that, America, that the church, you know, maybe worldwide, I don't know, I've worshiped in churches all over the world, but only for like a Sunday or two, so I don't know them deeply, but I know our system deeply. And I think that one of the things that we've done a really bad job of, if I'm being honest, is we've kind of told people, here's the things that you need to do, right? Like, we all know that we're waiting. We all know Jesus isn't here yet. You've probably heard good sermons or bad sermons on what the end times will be and how to look. There's some books out there that some of them are really, you know, it's whatever. You know, and we don't like talking about a whole lot because we haven't loved how it's been engaged uh, in a lot of ways, but regardless, the, as a church, we know that that God has promised He's going to return. He's not 
yet here. And so they're just waiting. And so we tell people, hey, come into this fold because one day it's going to be worth it for you. And here's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to come to church, you know, somewhat regularly. Uh, we would like it to be four times a month, but if it's three, that's okay. If it's two, we'll let you slide. If it's one, we may, you know, send some deacons out to the house and have a chat with you, right? Um, the second thing that I'm going to need you to do is probably join a Sunday school or, you know, churches transition to small groups or whatever that may be. We're going to need you to do that. And then uh, read your Bible daily, pray daily, tithe. you got to give 10%. And that is kind of what discipleship looks like. And that's your job until the kingdom, until God comes again. And the problem with that is it doesn't teach us anything. I am just now, like the Pharisees, just following a set of laws that someone said, here's what you do. You pray once a day, you read your Bible once a day, you go to church once a week, tithe, and that's what you got to do until Jesus comes again. And then when he comes, he's going to sweep us all away to a better place, and it's going to be great. And, the, and we have missed the idea that God is not saying, no, like, I want you to wait for sure. You can't jump the gun on that, but I want you to be prepared while you wait. And being prepared isn't just following four simple things that's not going to let you get any closer to me, but what it is going to do is check off a list and make you feel a lot better about yourself. In fact, what discipleship looks like is learning how to hear the voice of God. What discipleship is is learning how to pray and expect that God is going to answer that prayer. What discipleship is is being able and willing to grieve with one another and to celebrate with one another and to share support and love with one another. Sometimes discipleship means you've got to confront a friend or a neighbor. Sometimes discipleship means... God in his great mercy is going to call you to something that you would never, ever have done in your entire life. And you don't want to, but then you do it and it's good. And it's only because you were able to hear the voice of God and do what he told you to do. Discipleship for some people may be doing more than tithe. You never know that unless you're listening and hearing the voice of God. Sometimes when the church says, just tithe, just give 10%, they could be leading someone down a road of disobedience. Because God may be telling them something different. But we give them the easy way out. We have to be prepared for the wait. And what that is for us individually is being ready. And that can be different for all of us. But what it definitely is, is reminding us that there are things that are good in our lives that God has given us. There are things that are good to do. That does not mean going to church is a bad thing. God is not going to tell you that. That does not sync up with Scripture. That does not sync up with God's Word. God is saying, I created me in fellowship, right? When he said, I want you to, I want them to be one just as the Father and I are, just as we are one. Uh, God exists eternally in fellowship with himself. In, in, in Genesis uh, 2, he said, let us create man in our image. Who was the R that he was talking to, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed eternally. In fellowship with themselves. And so God wants us to be in fellowship with one another. He calls us to community. Paul says you're like the body, right? And its different parts mean different things. It doesn't mean I don't want you to pray, right? Like just because I said that doesn't mean that prayer is bad. In fact, Scripture tells us to pray. It doesn't mean that tithing and giving to church is bad. In fact, there's instruction in Scripture that we are supposed to do that and trust God with all that he has given us. 
It doesn't mean that going to Sunday school or small group is bad. It's good. In fact, Scripture tells us iron sharpens iron. All those are good. What we're missing in the church is this isn't a checklist. This is a living and breathing word of God that is dynamic and it changes. Not changes, but it shifts. It's different for each of us. God may be leading Willie to one place and Friar to another and James and Simone to another place and saying this is the kingdom of God. You guys are all doing the right thing and the good thing because you're listening to the spirit of God and being obedient to it. It's not check off four things, don't ever listen to God, just do those four things and you're good. That's not waiting appropriately for the Holy for God, Jesus to return. That is being foolish with our time. It also reminds us that knowledge, faith, and love, that those are good things to have. The oil was a good thing to have, but it's not the tools that give us entrance into the party. What gave them interest into the party? It wasn't the oil. It wasn't like they went to the door and said, see, I got my oil, let me in. It was knowing the bridegroom. That was the only thing that got them into the party. Those things are good things, and they're not things that we should not seek to have. We want to have, I want to have more faith. I want to be able to love more deeply. I want to have more knowledge. One of the things I pray for on a daily basis lately, I wish it had been something I prayed for a lot longer than I have but really for like probably the last six months, I've really been intentionally praying for my kids every night when we pray, hear me pray for it. Throughout my day, I pray for it. It's God, I want wisdom. I want that. But it was the relationship with the bridegroom. It was the knowledge of the person and work of the bridegroom that got them entrance into the party, not the oil that they brought. And sometimes we can put the oil ahead of the relationship. The early Christian church, I just wanted to read this because it helps put this into perspective a lot more, in my opinion. Hopefully you agree. But the early church had to adjust the reality that Jesus did not return as they fully expected. They fully expected that God was going to return in their lifetime. You don't have to raise your hand. But many of us have had periods of time, whether it's now and it's been that way your whole life or whether it's come and gone at different points, fully believe that Jesus is going to come in our lifetime. The early Christians had that as well. That is not unique to us. That Jesus did not, So they had to adjust the reality that Jesus did not return as they fully expected and that their mission was to wait expectantly. And in the meantime, to live faithfully, courageously, and hopefully. And it is our mission still At the heart of our faith is a certainty that human history has a purpose and a goal and that it's moving towards its eventual fulfillment and completion. That we have a purpose for being here. God has a goal. Our job is to wait expectantly, ready, like the ten virgins. So when Jesus calls us, we can trim those wicks. There's enough in there to get us so we can see so we don't have to go back and buy oil. We don't have to go back and fix those things. We don't have to go back and do that, but we can get entrance into the party now. And here's reality for all of us and every group of people, and it changes daily because our circumstances change. There are those of us, and there are times in our lives where we're genuinely afraid 
for our own personal future. Perhaps facing serious injury or illness or surgery, loss of employment, financial ruin. All these things come crowding in. They're the things that fill us with anxiety. And to each of us, will come. The love of God will continue to appear in our lives in surprising and unexpected ways. That God will pop into this story. Even though we're waiting, our job is not to give up hope in the wait. Our job is to come ready for the wait, knowing that we're waiting for God. And when he comes, it's going to be better than it is now. And so we get to live as people who have this hope, who have this expectation that Christ is coming, that God in his goodness will give us everything that we need as we wait. Our job is to be ready for the wait. And so this morning, as we find ourselves in this time where we are waiting, I don't know how that hits you this morning. Maybe you're, maybe you're one of the folks who are waiting and you're thinking, man, it can't be any better now than it. Like, this is as good as it gets. This is awesome. Know that it will get better. <laughs> if this is awesome for you, it's going to be even more so. You may be one of those people who are tired of the wait. It's worn you down, the waiting. It's given you anxiety just waiting. It's like, God, if you would just come, if you would just make this thing better, then all's going to be well. That may be where you find yourself this morning. You may be in a place where you need to hear the hope that Jesus is coming, that he has something better for his people. And knowing that sometimes just makes the wait a little better. I don't know where you find yourself in that, but wherever that is this morning, know this. The bridegroom is still coming. It will be better than it is now. Even if you think it's great now, it will be even better. If you don't think it's great now, it will get better. The bridegroom is coming. Our job is to just to wait on God, but be ready, right? So we're constantly expecting that. And so this morning, we get to pray to a God that knows us, that knows our anxiety, that knows our fear, that knows our joy, that knows everything that we celebrate about. And he knows, like, I'm going to make it even better. I'm going to make it even better. And so we can just simply and patiently wait expectantly on God. That is what the Advent is. And so in a couple weeks, we're going to move there. But this morning, we're going to pray to that God. And we're going to ask him to give us what we need for the wait. So let's pray. God, you are gracious and you are good and you are better than we deserve. And God, you have given us all that we need for this life. Help us to believe that is true. Help us to live into that reality. And God, as we find ourselves waiting, would you give us what we need to wait? Would you give us wisdom to know what to do while we wait? What to bring with us? God, we know that you're going to provide And so we're thankful.
God, may we be people who wait patiently but expectantly for you and what you will bring. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, to that God, we get to come with those prayers, but we also get to confess what it is that we believe about who God is and what he has done. So this morning, we're going to say that through the words of the Apostles' Creed. So if you would, say with me, confess the faith of our baptism as we say these words, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org. Thank you.